Thank you, Lawrence. So in case you haven't noticed already, or even inside that prayer, Pastor Jeff and Violet, they're not here this morning. Uh, They're off visiting uh, their children and their grandchildren, and uh, we pray they're just savoring every moment of that family time. They enjoy their rest, and they'll be back worshiping with us again next Sunday morning. I want to invite you to open your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And while you're going there, in case you don't know me, (laughs) I'm the guy that's over at Global Life. That's our missions efforts here at Grace Family Church. And, um, you know, last week we heard some great testimonies from our Costa Rica team. And I kind of slid in there at the end, not so much a report from Costa Rica, but a little bit of an update from Southeast Asia. And um, I just want to remind folks one more time, we are going to be going in the fall to Southeast Asia. We're going to bring short-term missions team there. Um, that's where our adopted unreached people group is, are, the Mariners. And uh, we use a platform we call English Up, and basically we take y'all, folks from Grace Family Church, and you go over there and you teach English, very basic um, conversational English in the local high schools. We have a curriculum for it, so don't let that frighten you. And uh, any, anybody can do it, even I can do it. And, uh, but that's not the ministry so much. It's the relationships that we make once we're in the schools, and then when we go into the various Mariner villages, the kids come up and say, hey, that, that was my English teacher today, and they invite you into their home. And that's where we get to meet their family. Of course, the neighbors are going to come over, because how often does somebody from the United States just show up in your, in your house? And you end up with a really big crowd there, and, and, and that's when we begin to share our lives, we begin to share our testimonies, we'll share something from God's Word, and we always look for opportunities to pray. And all of that is because we are trying to introduce them as a people group and then even those that we're directly talking to, to the love of God. You know, we we prayed about that. We spoke about that. We sang about that. They don't know what that is. In a Muslim culture, there's no such thing as a God who loves you. And so that's what we're trying to help them discover and lead them to. Um, And the nice thing about this, our national team is with us when we do this. And they follow up with these folks that show an interest. They want to hear more. Uh, in fact, just last week, and I forgot to mention this, right before we came up here on stage, I got a text from Han Lee, one of our workers over there. And she said, I just got invited to go to um, a big event uh, there in, in the village. And it was a family that back, I think, in 2018 that we met with and we prayed with and we shared scripture with. And because that relationship was built, we still have that relationship now with them and an opportunity to share the Lord. So it's, it's, it has a very... Uh, it's a very long-term focused, even though it's a short-term trip. Um, so anyway, uh, the, the big news last week was that they, our host country there, uh, they had a vaccine mandate. And when we first announced this trip back in March, a lot of folks said, I, I can't do that. I'm not going to go there. I'm not vaccinated. Um, well, they dropped that mandate. And so that door is wide open. And so if you were interested in this trip before, um, or maybe you're just hearing about this trip and you have some interest, you can express that interest. You're not signing up, okay? You're not signing on the dotted line, but you can express that interest by going uh, online, gracepsl.org, to events. You can also go to, um, do that with the church app to events, or you can just see me. That's my favorite way to do it, and I can share whatever information uh, you might need, okay? That was my infomercial. Thank you for putting up with me through that. <laughs> okay, First Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. 
No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. Verse 11. Sorry, continuing in verse 10. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we had the mind of Christ? And a nice punctuation mark right there. So real quick, as we look at this, I know we, we, we didn't do chapter one, and next week I don't think we're going to do chapter three, um, but just to, uh, how we've landed here in, in chapter two and what's going on here very quickly, you know, if you'll go to Acts chapter 18, you don't need to go there, I'm saying later on if you want to look into this. In Acts chapter 18, that's when Paul enters Corinth for the first time. That's when he shares the gospel. He ends up staying there for a year and a half, and, and several churches, uh, we believe, several communities of believers were birthed through the work that Paul did there for for that year and a half. But at the time that Paul's writing this letter, there's, there's all these issues, there's all these troubles that are going on. There's, there's factions and there's divisions. This one's claiming he follows one leader. This one's claiming, well, he follows another leader. And then you've got quarreling that's going on in the body. This one's suing this other person and they're bringing, um, not to the leaders of the church, but they're bringing it to the government courts. You've got folks that are still worshiping by going to the gods of other temples and having sexual relations with prostitutes and still showing up in church. You've also got uh, issues with the roles of, of men and women and they're, and they're talking about that and how does that all work in the body of believers. And another really cool thing is, is the spiritual gifts were really flowing when they would gather together, but, but there, was, there was discussions and arguments and debates about the order and how all that worked together. And so Paul addresses all this in this book and it's 16 chapters worth, so that's how much was going on. But he addresses all of it systematically with an answer, the only answer, and that comes from the gospel. Now, today, what we're looking at, just in chapter 2, what he's dealing with, really, all of this, you could say, was because of the influence of Greek culture and that kind of, um, you know, getting into the church. But specifically, what he's, he's talking about in, in this chapter is dealing with that. Now, in Greek culture, man's wisdom, man's intellect, that was their idol. You know, what you could ascend to with your knowledge, with your brain, with your wisdom, that was the idol of that culture, and in some ways not too different from, from our culture right now. And they had these guys that were called sophists, because sophia is the word for wisdom, uh, the Greek word. And so these are like the wisdom tellers, the philosophers, you know, we'll just call them the wise guys. Um, they were the rock stars of the day. And so folks would say, I really like what this guy is saying. You know, this guy Socrates over here. 
Um, I like what he's saying and because he answers this mystery of life this way, so I support him. And then another guy gets in, no, not that guy. It's this guy over here, it's Aristotle, because the way he approaches and the way he explains this mystery, and there was this quarreling that was going on in the Greek culture um, as they had these factions of following worldly leaders, worldly rulers, worldly, again, the wise guys. But look what Paul says. Now, this is in the first chapter, and, and it'll be up on the screen. He says, um, there's quarrels among you talking to the church, verse 12 in, in chapter one, what I mean is this, one of you says I follow Paul, another I follow Apollos, another says I follow Cephas, and still another I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And so we see that most of chapter two is kind of confronting this golden calf that he introduces, uh, this golden calf of the Corinthian culture that is kind of starting to seep in to the church. And that also, that, that verse kind of gives us a little bit of flavor of the correction that Paul brings in this entire letter. But you don't so, so much hear it in chapter two. You'll see that he's setting all this up to launch into chapter three. So in verse six, he says, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom, because they were looking for wisdom. Wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. And here Paul tells us there's two types of wisdom. There's wisdom of this world, wisdom of this age. There's also the wisdom, uh, he calls it the wisdom of the mature. And I think part of him sharing that is, I think it was a real subtle, um, you know, nudge at the immaturity of the Corinthian church. All these things that they had fallen into, a lot of it just had to do with their spiritual maturity. They hadn't grown in the time that Paul was gone. And so, and you see later on when he gets into chapter three, man, that's when he really lays the hammer down about their immaturity and where they are. Even though they are believers, he's, he says, but you're still operating in the flesh. You're just, like, you're just like fleshly people, carnal people. And so I, that's one reason he's, he's, he's setting up this contrast. You know, then he also um, says that 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 is of this age that you admire and you look up to and you, 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 you try to uh, elevate to, it's all nothing, and it's all coming to nothing. And so he's starting to lay out this, this contrast between God's wisdom and earthly wisdom. Now in chapter, excuse me, in verse seven, he says, no, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Again, he's intentionally wording this to expose this great chasm between the wisdom of the world, which is temporal, and then the wisdom of God, which is certainly eternal. And he uses this word mystery. Now, this is not meant to be like, uh, you know, it's not the worldly way that we think of mystery. In fact, when I hear the word mystery, uh, this is the mental image that pops up in my head. It's one of my favorite cartoons when I was a kid, and I think they're still around. And it's written right there, you know, in that really cool lettering from the uh, early 70s the mystery machine. And you know, if you, if you ever watch that, what always happens at the end, they catch the culprit and the culprit says, those meddling kids. And why does he say that? Because those meddling kids took all the clues, they put all the pieces together and they solved the mystery. Well, this isn't much unlike where the Corinthian church was. They were trusting in the wisdom of the world. They were trusting in the philosophers and the sophists and the wise guys to piece the mysteries of life together, this higher thing, um, rather than leaning into the Holy Spirit that they already had and learning 
the wisdom of God. And then it says in verse 8, it, the proof of this, and again, being the difference, he talks about that, that the rulers of this world, had they known, as smart as they are, as intellectual as they are, as powerful as they are, as strong as they might be, the voice that they have over all of culture, they didn't get it. Because if they got it and they knew it, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. But these guys know, again, this is a church, and so they know who Jesus is. Now, the plan of redemption, that, that's really the mystery that he's talking about. And he's basically saying that this is what was in the Old Testament, and then it was revealed um, through, ultimately revealed through Jesus, his, his death, burial, and resurrection um, that we see in the Gospels, and now it's fully revealed to us, fully revealed to them as believers in Jesus Christ. And so that word Paul was using there for mystery, it didn't mean mystery at all. The word, the Greek word is mysterion, which basically means this is, this is from God. This is uh, a sacred secret, if you will, a hidden secret that can only be revealed by the divine power of God or through the Holy Spirit. Now look what it says in verse 9. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. In verse 10, these are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. Now, right here, Paul is quoting this text from Isaiah 64. And this scripture, you may have heard it this way, it's often preached as kind of a glimpse of heaven and what heaven is going to be. And, and, and we just don't know what this is like yet on earth. And there is some truth to that, but in the context of what Paul's saying here, what he's really pointing out is what no eye has seen, meaning all the wisdom of the world and all the wise guys and all the rulers and all those that you look up to. Nor, their ears have not yet heard, and no, they have not yet conceived. Very specific to the context of what's going on right there. But then he's reminding them in verse 10, God's Holy Spirit has revealed this to you. Trying to get them to urge them back to, let's start looking at godly wisdom again instead, instead of being so infatuated with our culture and worldly wisdom. Because in their wisdom, their lofty intellect, all these things that they're inspiring to, um, they don't get it. They can't get it. And that's why the world turns around and says, this is foolishness. You guys are just fools. This is gibberish. It's just foolishness. That's their only answer because their pride is challenged. Man, could I be wrong? And so that's the quick reply. Let's just cut this down, this, this challenging view of the world down um, because they're not as smart as me. You know, think about, think about the, 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 the apostles. I mean, how many of them were commercial fishermen? You know, all of our friends are mariners. They're commercial fishermen. Few of them made it through the third grade. And yet, these commercial fishermen, when we look through the book of Acts, the knowledge that they had, the depth of scripture that they knew, and how did they know all that? Because the Holy Spirit revealed it to them. That's how they, that's how they knew that. That's how they, that was revealed to them. And so back in chapter one, uh, you know, Paul reversed, he refers to that in verse 18. He says, the message of the cross is what? It's foolishness to those who are perishing. Because remember, all this stuff of this age and the rulers and all that, it's coming to nothing. And so it's one more reminder of that. 
Now, notice in verse 10, it says, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit, capital S. Again, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. The world can't know it. The world can't understand it. The world can't grasp it. They can't discover it. They can't achieve it. They can't put all the clues together and then come up with this mystery. You, you can't do it, no matter how intellectual you might be. And it can only be revealed by the Holy Spirit to those who have believed in Jesus Christ. It says again back in chapter 1, this is verse 26 through 27, for consider your calling, brethren, and there were not many wise, excuse me, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of this world to shame the things which are strong. Now, why has he done this? And if you read on in, the, in that, it's, it's very obvious. He, di he did that because he didn't want any man to be able to boast. I got that. That came from me. Let me share this, this great wisdom that I, that I have discovered, you know, behind a rock up on that mountain where no man has ever climbed or however they might try to expose that and draw people to themselves. That's why he did it that way. That's why he operates that way, that, that way so that no man can boast. It must be revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. If you look on in verse 10, actually, let me, let me back up a little bit. There's one other thing I just want to point out. I think that in that, as Paul's setting that up, one of the things, he's just trying to encourage the church a little bit here before the harsh scolding they're about to get in chapter three. He's kind of setting them up a little bit. But he's saying, listen, the world has got nothing on you. It's got absolutely nothing on you. And they may call you fools, and they may arrest you, and they may take you to court, and ultimately look what happened to Paul and how his life was ended despite all of that. They've got nothing on you because you have the wisdom of God depositing you by the Holy Spirit. It's a powerful thing, and, and, and I hope we kind of, this builds as well, and this kind of builds in our spirit as we talk about this a little bit. I love this quote from D.L. Moody. He says, the Christian on his knees sees more than the philosopher on his tiptoes. God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. Okay, so in verse 10, continuing on, it says that the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit? Small s there, notice that, their own spirit within them. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Who knows your innermost thoughts? Right now, who knows your innermost thoughts? Nobody. Probably not even your spouse, not the person next to you. The only way they could know that is if you communicated that to them. And, that's, and this is the parallel that Paul is drawing. And so likewise, who can know the deep thoughts, the innermost thoughts of God, except for who? The Holy Spirit. And if it's going to be communicated, and which it is, it's communicated to us, and it says, um, and he communicates that through our spirit. Now, this is where I kind of, as I was kind of studying and preparing for this, I kind of, I, I took a, a hard turn a little bit because this really captured my attention. I'm gonna to try to share it. I hope it captures your attention too the way it did mine because this really helped me to kind of start to, um, to grasp this because so much of this when we're talking about, about, about the Holy Spirit and you just can't, it's hard to just grab onto and go, I got that. You know, and that's why faith is needed, amen? <laughs> um, but if you look in that, you know, from verse 10 on, Spirit shows up uh, 12 times. 
Ten of those are capital S, talking about the Spirit, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And this one that was just mentioned to us is mentioned, it says man's spirit, or the spirit of a man. In verse 11, who knows a person's thoughts except for his spirit? Now, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, let us, meaning Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make man in our image. Now, earlier this week, I was reading uh, something from Martin Luther, you know, the father of the Protestant Reformation. And in a nutshell, what he said is, when, when God made us in his image, it was God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, the triune God, also made man in his image, not like him, but in his image, by making us in three parts. And so, and he says those three parts are spirit, soul, and body. Now, 1 Thessalonians affirms this, uh, and I'm just going to read it. It says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's dive into this real quick. All right, so first of all, we are a body. You see my body. When my body approached the podium, you went, that is not Pastor Jeff. He's a little shorter. His face doesn't have quite as much hair hanging off of it. I mean, you knew. That's, that's our body. That's what we see. That's what you see. That's what we spend, honestly, most of our time with, spend most of our money on. This is our body. This is our flesh. But we're also a soul. And this is where it starts to get tough to kind of grab onto. But this is the part of you that is your intellect. This is the part of it that is your thoughts. This is the part of it, mainly your emotions. And then also, it's your will. And so, in other words, you know, when, when, when you're in that, that deep valley, if you will, it's your soul that's mourning. And when you're in that high, high mountaintop, that's your soul that is celebrating. That's, that's your soul. That's, that's how your soul works. And when you look at these two parts right here, that's what we're in touch with. You know, when, when somebody says, how you doing? We either give them an answer about our body, my knees hurt. <laughs> or we give them something about our soul. You know, I'm, I'm really struggling because, um, you know, a friend of mine just passed away last Friday. We, that's typically where we answer because that's what we are most in touch with. But there's a third part of us, and we just affirmed it here in Scripture, and we know God created it, and breathe it in us, and it is our spirit. But because we don't feel it, we often neglect it, especially in the West, both just in, 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 in uh, humanity in the West, but even in the Christian church in the West. We just, we just don't necessarily go there. Um, but it's just as vital as the other two, and we're going to see um, it, it impacts the other two. And, and, and actually, by the end of this, we'll see how much, in many ways, it is more important now, again, to kind of go back to that, this struck me this morning. I just wanted to add this. Again, if somebody said, how were you this morning, did anybody answer from their body or their soul? Or did you just say, okay, because you didn't want to answer? <laughs> did anybody answer from their spirit? Well, if you had been at, were at this church, I'd say 15 plus years ago, maybe, maybe a little longer than that, uh, there was a woman here by the name of Marvis. Maybe a few of you remember Marvis. And if you ever ask Marvis, Marvis, how are you doing this morning? She would say, I am blessed and highly favored. I am blessed and Where did that come from? Where did, that came from her spirit. Your body doesn't tell you that. Your soul doesn't tell you that. 
that has to be revealed to you, whether that's revealed in God's word because she read that and she took hold of it and she believed it and placed her faith in it. Uh, or maybe it just became a rote response. I don't know, but that is, that is a, a, an answer from the Spirit. It's who you are in Christ, not who we are um, in just our body or our soul and our flesh. Now, in verse 7, it says, excuse me, this is in Genesis chapter 2. I apologize, it's going to be on the screen. Verse 7, it says, And the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Both in the original Hebrew and in the Greek, the translation of that is, the breath of life is the word spirit. So this could be read accurately. He breathed into the nostrils the spirit of of life. The Spirit is the source of life. When the Spirit comes into a man, a man is made alive. And likewise, when the Spirit departs from a man, he is no longer alive. Consider Jesus when he was crucified. What were his last words? In Luke 23, verse 46, it says, And Jesus called out with a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said that, having said this, he breathed his last. No spirit, no life. And so our spirit is at the very core of our being. And to go back to that graphic, that's why we we put it that way, right at the center, because that's really where everything flows from for the believer. But yet, in most of Western culture, like I said, even our Christianity, we're just not really in touch with that. And why? You know, we already explained it, but it's because our bodies are always screaming for attention. (laughs) Our flesh is screaming for our attention. How many of you are going, man, I'm so hungry. I hope he wraps this up quickly. That's the flesh screaming for your attention. And the soul does the same thing. But the spirit, there's a little bit more nuance there. But let's talk about this new spirit. In verse 12, uh, but we're back in uh, 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Corinthians second chapter. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. And I know this is kind of like Christi- Christianity 101, but this just so reignited my spirit, I'll say, as, as I dove into this, that I felt like it was worth really just kind of grappling with and wrestling with and, and bringing to the surface again. But when you come to Christ, when you receive God's spirit, just as... Um, Man's spirit is like the breath of life in him. When we believe in the gospel, when we place our faith, when we receive new life, that new spirit, um, that is the spirit from God that we're talking about in verse 12. Now remember when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, he comes to him in the secret of the night, because he doesn't want anybody to see, because, you know, he was kind of one of the rulers of the world, and people looked up to him because of his wisdom, though much more of that was biblical wisdom. He comes to Jesus in hiding, and he... and uh, Jesus tells them, he says, listen, in order to enter into God's kingdom, you must be born again. Man, Nicodemus, I don't know if he was being sarcastic or he was just really genuinely confused, but he comes back and says, how can that be? You know, how can somebody who's already old, who's already been born, climb back into his mother's womb and be born again? And I think there's a little sarcasm in that. I don't know. That's just my perspective. Um, But Jesus replies this. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but it's the spirit that gives birth to spirit. That's what he's talking about in being born again. And so the born-again Christian, you and I, 
we have that new life, that new spiritual life in Christ. Now, our bodies haven't been made new. And when I was saved 30-something years ago, I think I was a couple inches taller. At least I'd like to think I was. A couple pounds lighter. So it wasn't necessarily my body that got saved. And, and my soul, I still have struggles and troubles. And, and you know, I go from, from valley to mountaintop. But it's our spirit. It's our spirit that is made new. It is our spirit that is made alive in Christ. And so now he who has the spirit, that capital S, who is from God, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit now lives within him. And, and the relationship of our reborn spirit and the Holy Spirit is explained later in the book, the same book. It's way into chapter 6, verse 17, but this is what Paul writes. He says, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. It's not like when you just kind of tap in every once in a while. Or He says we are one with him in spirit. I mean, just let that sink in for just a little bit. That is who we are. And so our born-again spirit merges with God's Holy Spirit, so to speak. It's almost like in a marriage. And they become one. We have now the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so there's that merge between God's spirit and our spirit. And so he occupies that space so that we can now have access to his deepest thoughts, to those deepest mysteries. All those things can be revealed to us now because we are one with God, amen? And Paul, excuse me, Jesus reiterates this. Actually, he said it before, obviously, because he was still alive, but he's praying in John chapter 17. This is in verse 20 and 21. And he's praying, and he's praying for uh, his disciples, but then he's also praying for us. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That'd be me. In verse 21, it says that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you. So that's the unity of the body of Christ. But then he says, may they also be in us. Another translation says that they be one in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. So I love that because it's not just, hey, we get to enjoy this, and isn't this awesome to dig into the deep secrets and mysteries? Thank you, Holy Spirit. But there was also a function of that that the world may know through us that God loved them so much that he would give his only son so that the world might be saved through him. John three sixteen. There's a bigger purpose in all of this. And it's not so much about our glory. It's all about God's glory. So verse 13. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 13, this is what we speak. Not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught to us by the Spirit. Explain spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned. You ever heard that term, discerned? They're discerned through the Spirit. And so Paul, again, he's contrasting the natural man with the Spirit man. It's trying to get them to stop leaning and resorting on the wisdom of man. Stop admiring them. They don't get it. Look what you have, and look what you have access to. Because man's spiritually eyes are still blinded, because their uh, spiritual ears are still deaf, because their spirits have not been, alive, been made alive in Christ. They don't get it. And so they see it all as foolishness. And they consider us fools. That's, again, that's what it says in verse 14. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit because he considers them foolishness. Now, have you ever had that conversation? And you're, and you're sharing with somebody, man, this is what God's doing in my life right now. Or 
man, I caught hold of this in God's word the other day, or you're just going on about what God's doing in your spirit, but you're sharing with somebody that isn't born again, and they have that deer in the headlights look on their face, why? Why can't they get it? Why don't they get it? Verse 14, <laughs> it's because of verse 14, they can't, they can't get it. You know, I was, my, um, my main guy over there in, who's been with us the longest on the national team over in Southeast Asia, you know, he often says this, and he's talking about more of his situation. He's been living there for over 10 years among the mariners. He's neighbors with the mariners. He's been sharing all things, all kinds of things from God's word to the mariners, and he's just so frustrated, and he's like, why don't they get it? Why don't they get this? Why don't they get me? And I always have a different response. I'm going to be very honest with you, but now I'm going to go, verse 14. <laughs> it's because of verse 14 right there. The person without the Spirit does not consider the things that come from the Spirit. They see it all as foolishness. Well, I was, uh, I'm going to go way back, okay? Before I was born again, I was studying to be a yacht designer. And I became very good friends with a guy by the name of Joel. And uh, this was before I came uh, to know the Lord. And once we graduated, Joel and I, we both said, man, we're going to go to South Florida because one winter in New England for me was, that's all I wanted. I went straight down to Miami. And, uh, he, you know, I told him it was pretty good down here, and he ended up coming down also. So I got a job just outside of Hollywood uh, with, uh, with a yacht builder there, and he ended up getting a job with a pretty famous powerboat manufacturer in, in North Miami. And so we, we, we remained friends during all that time. We got together. We're enjoying life like 24 Single 24-year-old guys will, is at least the way the world describes how you should enjoy life. And one of the things we did that was kind of like our, that epic, um, you know, that epic moment of us living in the world, we went and saw the Rolling Stones at the Orange Bowl in Miami. Yeah, everybody's like, oh, you did that? <laughs> yeah, I did, I did. I wasn't a big Rolling Stones fan, but because they were kind of like the rock stars, literally, Folks that people have been looking up for decades, it's like, well, why not catch a show and then I'll be able to kind of chalk that up, look what I did. And so that was like this epic moment that he and I had together. That was in December of uh, 1989. October of 1990, 10 months later, I get saved. I get born again. I just get, I mean, just, it was such a radical transformation. And I was so excited. And I figured, I mean, I got this. Shouldn't anybody get this? And so I run to my friend Joel, and I start saying, sharing with him what happened to me. And Joel had that deer in the headlights look. You know, he's kind of. But he was, he was patient with me. He was tolerant. Maybe he thought it'd wear off or something. <laughs> but he kept, you know, inviting me. Let's go do this worldly thing. Let's go do that worldly thing. And I couldn't, and I wouldn't. I didn't want to. It wasn't because it was like somebody told me, you can't do this now. I didn't want to. That was the work of the Holy Spirit already working inside me. And, and finally, he just got fed up with me. He got tired of hearing me talking about Jesus. He got tired of seeing me pursuing Jesus. He just got tired of Jesus because he didn't know him. And so that was the end of our relationship. And I couldn't share any, you know, I couldn't share any more with him. And, and one reason I'm, I'm, I, I want to share that with you this, this morning, um, because he didn't want to hear from me, all I could do was pray for him. And you know, and oftentimes with us, it might be the same way. We may have talked so much Jesus that we don't have a relationship with that coworker anymore. I mean, I don't know. And all you can do is pray for them. 
because there's only one way that they're going to get it. God has to reveal it to them by the Holy Spirit. There's only one way a life, a, a dead spiritual life can, can come to life, and that's, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's not our work. It doesn't mean we're not going to be involved in that. We can be involved in that. That happens, and we've probably all seen that. Maybe we've all been used in that way. Sometimes he may just choose to use his word, just his word, and people get in his word and they get saved. I've seen that. Maybe it's a vision. Maybe it's a dream. I've seen that. Maybe it's just through a reluctant visit to a church on a Sunday morning, which was me in, 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 in late October of 1989. He can, use, he can use that. But all, you know, we can do is pray. Well, to wrap that story up, we're going to fast forward seven years. The Rolling Stones were playing in the Miami Orange Bowl one more time, 1997. I didn't attend, okay? I just want you to know I wasn't there for that, but I was at the Orange Bowl for a Promise Keepers rally. Were any of you, for some of y'all there for that? Okay, a couple of you were there for that. There was thousands upon thousands. I'm not gonna dare say more than 10,000. I don't know what the numbers were, but there were thousands and thousands of guys at that rally. And when it came, I'll call it halftime, and they took a lunch break. And they encouraged us to kind of exit out, get with your, uh, if you came with a group, get lunch. They had box lunches for us, and they said, get with your group and talk about, you know, what's, what's going on, all the stuff that God's showing you in this first session of Promise Keepers. And as I'm walking down that, you know, spiral walkways that come out of the stadium, I look over to my right, and guess who's there? Yes, it was Joel right there. I hadn't seen him in seven years. And now Joel is a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. I had nothing to do it with it. God had everything to do with it. God is the one that brought him to life in Jesus' name. And, you know, what a privilege that I even just got to experience that and meet up with him again. You know, we didn't eat lunch. All we did is just celebrate from our spirit what had happened in his life, what God had been doing in my life for the past seven years. It was such a wonderful, exciting reunion. And it wasn't just like, hey, we're friends again. No, now we're brothers in Christ. Now we connect on a spirit level. We have a unity in the spirit. And uh, it was super exciting. That's why I'm kind of excited right now. But I'm going to tone it down. And we're going to wrap it back up. Um, verse 15. The person with the Spirit makes judgments. Another way of saying that is to praise um, about all things. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. And just real quickly, so we wrap this up. Um, what Paul is, is saying is that the person with the Spirit can make judgments on all things. How come? Because he has the Spirit. He has access to all these deep thoughts and insights of God. Not because anything that he's got. You know, it's not, a, it's not an invitation to be arrogant in who we are in Christ. It's actually to humble us to see who we are in Christ. And such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. And so he's saying, so the world cannot judge you. Because they don't have that. They have this temporal wisdom, and no matter how smart they might be, no matter how high their IQ might be, they can't judge you, what God's doing in you, what God's done in your life, what God is revealing to you, because, man, they can't touch that. And again, that's why they just simply say it's foolishness. And then verse 16, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now that punctuation makes a whole lot more sense, doesn't it? I used to just like to grab that out of there, you know, and I'm about to take an uh, you know, exam or something when I went back to school for a while. Oh, I had the mind of Christ. You know? It's so much bigger and, 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 and so much more huge 
than that, this idea that we have the mind of Christ. But again, he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13, and it's basically that verse is saying, can natural man judge or instruct Yahweh or the Lord? And of course, the answer is no, absolutely not. No way will likewise, because we have access to God's spirit, the mind of the Lord, the mind of Christ, then we cannot be judged. Now, let's wrap this all up. Now, you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We have access to the mind of Christ. And maybe it's good that we're reminded about that this morning. We have access to his revelation, access to the Holy Spirit's illumination. But a reasonable question, because kind of from an engineering background, I'm kind of a nuts and bolts guy, how do we start tapping into the mind of Christ? And then there's several answers, and, and some of you probably have some active ways to do that. And I'm going to sum it all up in this first one, and you're going to go, no duh, PK. But, but stay with me on this. The first way that we do that is we spend time with God. And I think we'd all say that, oh, I spend time with God. I, sp- I spend some time with God. Do you? I mean, if you looked at your overall schedule and what you do in any given day and all the busyness of your life, are you spending priority and quality time with God? It's hard to do. We can't just necessarily drop everything. But I will say this, if we don't set aside time, priority time, to have deep conversations with God, then how are we gonna receive deep revelation from God? What's he wanting to work in you? What's he wanting to grow in you? What's he wanting to address in your life? And how is he trying to, you know, sanctifying you and transforming you? We wanna cooperate with that, amen? And so I use the word conversation, because I mean that, you know, typically, you know, we could do that in prayer, we could do it in worship, we could do it in reading his word, and sometimes um, we, we even do it um, when we study the Bible, even in a group. But so oftentimes, let's take prayer for instance. Okay, I'm gonna pray. Here's my top five. I need this, 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 and this, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Check the box, spent the time with God, I'm done for the day. Now, that might be a little bit of a caricature, and I hope that's not what we're doing but there's no conversation there, is there? There's no listening for what God is wanting to speak back to us. There's no being still, being quiet, and hearing what God wants to speak back to us. And that's what I mean by spending time with God. Make that appointment. You know, I've got an appointment on Monday, and it's from 8.30 to 9.30, and it's on my phone, and I even have a reminder, and this is just some, it's nothing. Why wouldn't I do the same thing for my time with the Lord, amen? Number two, again, it's it's another no-brainer. We need a healthy diet of God's word. Now, that word, and and the reason why I'm saying it this way, a healthy diet, I'm talking like a southern version, a healthy, heaping diet of God's word, not like normal dieting, you know, where just this size portion and this size portion and count your calories, you don't have to count the calories. Get in as many and as much as you want in God's word. And you know this scripture, you probably knew I was gonna go there. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Second Timothy, chapter three, verse 16. Every, I, just think how many hundreds of preachers this morning probably use this scripture to encourage their congregations to read the Bible. You've heard it before, but I wanna take one step deeper into this because I'd never seen this before. We look at that, all scripture is God-breathed, Starting to sound familiar? 
the word for God breathed in the original Greek, excuse me, that word is, I'm going to try to get this right, theopneustos, theopneustos. Theo, which means God in Greek, and that neustos, which comes from the word pneuma, which means spirit. It was God breathing his word by his spirit in, into his word. This, the, the scriptures are God's um, deepest heart, desire, thoughts, the deepest secrets, all revealed through the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, we have no problem acknowledging the power of the Holy Spirit when he is manifested through some supernatural event, a miraculous healing, a prophecy, a word of knowledge. You know, all this is awesome, and to experience that is exciting, and it's wonderful. Um, and you know what? We need more of that. We need to pray, and Lord, bring more of that to us. Amen? But, you know, if you think about it, as jaw-dropping as that is when we see that and we get to experience that, how much more jaw-dropping is it that God's Word was breathed by the Holy Spirit, 66 books, 40 authors, in three continents over the span of 16 centuries? The work and power of the Holy Spirit on display in our Bibles, in that Word. That should be just as jaw-dropping, if not more. You know, I was thinking, you know, recently, I, you probably heard, it was back in February, there was a revival at Asbury. And, and that thing was only like four or five days in, just four or five days, seeing, seeing you know, the, God's power, the, the Holy Spirit moving. And it was on national news. Four or five days. We're talking 1,600 years here that his, that his Spirit has been alive and active, putting God's Word together for us. And so that is the greatest source, the first source we should go to when we want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, when we want to tap in to the mind of Christ. And then lastly, if we're going to access this, access the mind of Christ, have the mind of Christ, we have got to leave our pride at the door. That's a hard thing to do. But we've got to leave our pride at the door. You know, everything that's been given to us has been given to us by God's grace. Even the knowledge that we have, whatever we have, and how he's grown us over the last few years or, or even the last few decades for some of us. We didn't do any of that. That was all access that was given to us by God through his Holy Spirit. We, could, we couldn't work that up. We couldn't orchestrate that. It says in Ephesians 2, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. We were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And that's why we have to leave our pride at the door. You know, our access to him and his love for us do not give us some sort of spiritual eliteness to where we can start to look down our noses on the world, much less those believers that are just born again and they just don't get it. If anything, we have to have the mindset of Christ. As it says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 8, it says, in your relationships with one another, have that same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Amen.
He humbled himself in becoming obedient, obedient to death, even death on a cross. For us, for us. So how much more should we humble ourselves? Humility, it's something that is really missing, not just in our culture, it's pretty much gone, but even in the church, it's humility. And why is humility important? Number one, I believe it invites the presence and the power of God because we say we got nothing, we bring nothing. Lord, you bring everything. But it's also important because even as we look here, I believe it, it motivates, it's a catalyst to obedience for us, to be obedient to what God has laid out and set out for us. Last quote that just kind of got hold of me and I'll, I'm gonna end with this, I promise. I heard a pastor say it this way. He said, we are never more like the devil when we are ascending ourselves, thinking higher of ourselves, promoting ourselves, which always means looking down our nose at others and our attitude. But likewise, we are never more like Christ when we are humble and submitted to the will of the Father. Amen? That's being like-minded in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for we thank you for your word as we just learned that was breathed through the Holy Spirit given to authors as you move them by your spirit to write and, and pen your deep thoughts and the deep mysteries, Lord God, all that we need for this life and, and also to get excited about the life, the next life that is with you. And so Lord, I just pray that you would arrest us Show us those places where we're not nurturing our spirit, the spirit that you breathe into us. We're just like the Corinthian church, Lord God, go ahead and correct us. We want your correction. We want your discipline. We want your encouragement. We want to be sanctified, and we want to be transformed by you, Lord God. And so Lord, I, I pray even this week that you would turn our attention back to you. That we would find a way to be still. We would find a way that to just really begin to listen, not talk at you, but to begin to listen to you when we pray, when we study, when we worship. And then, Lord God, we also want to pray for our community. We want to pray for the mariners. We want to pray for the mountain people. We want to pray for our loved ones and our coworkers and our neighbors and all those who don't know this yet, who don't have access to your spirit yet, who see all of this as foolishness and who scoff at it and even laugh at us. But Lord, we humble ourselves and we pray for them. We pray that you would open their spiritually dark eyes. You would open their spiritually deaf ears. That you would bring their spirits back to life and that we would see such a movement of you that our jaws would drop just like we talked about. That it would be jaw dropping. And then Lord, as we humble ourselves, Lord, we pray that you'd use us this week. Speak to us by your spirit, even ways that things that we never thought about doing. Use us this week to bring glory to your name. And we pray it all in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. Prayer counselors, if you guys can come forward, if there's something troubling your soul or something you want to celebrate, we have prayer counselors down here that can pray with you. Have a wonderful Sunday, and we'll see you next week.